Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than when Ant and Deck were known as PJ and Duncan. A man, I'm Declan, a duo, a twosome. So many lyrics, we're frightened to use them. So many lyrics, we'll keep them in store. We've even got them coming out of our pores. Your father, your mother, your sister, your brother. Everyone's got to be an AKK lover. Tune. My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast. And oh, hello, bonus episode alert. Yes, back a little bit quicker than normal, giving you an extra slice of 1990s football action. Here we are, alive and kicking, doing a special bonus episode, just because I thought we've been doing this countdown of season by season, looking back at the decade that changed football forever, and we were at 94-95, which was kind of the halfway line, halfway point in the decade, so I thought I'd give it a rest, we'll do a couple of episodes that I wanted to do last season actually, and I couldn't just quite organise guests in time, or for whatever reason we just didn't get around to doing it, so timing-wise it worked perfectly, so today's show is themed around the 1990 playoff finals, um, which is great because we've never really covered playoffs on here. So it'd be good to get to a different kind of aspect of the 1990s, especially that decade, because there really was probably some of the best playoff finals we've ever seen, especially 1998, uh, that great game between Charlton and Sunderland. And we've got somebody who literally written the book on the playoffs in every decade. Join us on the show, Richard Foster. He will talk to us about all the ups and downs, literally again, uh, of the playoffs in the 90s. So that will be good to hear from him. A Charlton fan as well, Paul Breen, who's also an author, has written a great book on Charlton. He shares his memories of 1998. And Paul Benson, who's been on the show before, back in the last season, who's a Grimsby Town fan. So we dip a little bit into the lower leagues, which again, we haven't done much of, as we should do here on AK90s, as we talk Grimsby's 1998 success in the playoffs, which was a double Wembley appearance for them that season. But that's all to come here on today's show, as well as an interview as well. Somebody who was very much involved in the playoffs, especially in the early 90s, both in 1990 and 1993, which was Swindon Town goalkeeper Fraser Digby. Um, I must warn you in advance, the interview, we went back and forth a bit, me and Fraser, trying to find the right time to do the interview. And I wanted to get it in the can before the actual playoffs happen this weekend and next weekend. I'll be in. A, I'll be watching Millwall on Sunday with the in-laws in a nice pub lunch watching that game. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But no, Fraser's interview was a little bit last-minute arranged, so there is some background noise where we were both on the move while doing the interview. But there's some great stuff from Fraser, and obviously we talk about the players, but not only that, we also talk about Swindon and Glenn Hoddle, uh, the, the season in the Premier League, and yes, I even mentioned the double over QPR. You know, you've got to give them something in, in that horrible season that was for Swindon Town. But no, great interview with Fraser Digby on today's show. Uh, before we get to it, uh, just a couple of things I wanted to mention. Uh, firstly, something's been in the news recently as well, this week actually. And it's one of those things that you, when you think about it, it, it's not as bad as when you see the headline. Basically, remember Bibeto in the 1994 World Cup, you know, one of the greatest, well, well my favourite World Cups and one of the most famous celebrations that there's ever been. It was in the quarterfinal game against Holland. Uh, Brazil were in that amazing blue kit, which was in my top five kits of the 90s. Go back and listen to that pod I did with John Devlin. And he did that baby rocking celebra- celebration because uh, he'd just had a baby, or his wife was in hospital at the time, just had the baby. And that that baby is now, I mean, that was 23 years ago. So it makes sense that he is now a grown man. He's 23 uh, but just seeing the fact that that celebration, which I remember so vividly, and now seeing the boy that this week, uh, his name is Mat- Matthias Olivier. I'm going to absolutely butcher this, aren't I? Matthias Oliveira. 
Uh, he's signed for Sporting Lisbon this week. So Bibeto's son, now very much... Uh, I'd heard about it before when he was playing in uh, Brazil and, and a couple of other clubs in South America. Now he's in Europe. It's, it's got a bit more of a headline. It's made a few people feel old. But come on, it was 23 years ago. But it, it's a nice little hark back to that famous celebration, that amazing World Cup in America. So yeah, Bebeto's child. The baby that rocked is now rocking the Portuguese league for Sporting Lisbon. So yeah, that was in the news this week. I also wanted to do a little shout out as well to a regular listener here on AK90s uh, on Twitter. He is at Dan Barker, M-O-T-P. And Dan, thank you very much for all your tweets and uh, just just your support for the show. Um, he's got a great uh, blog, actually. Go and check it out. Lots of 90s stuff. It's called Match of the Past. Um, I think he's just done a recent one on European exploits of English clubs in the 97-98 season, which we'll be talking about in a couple of episodes' time. But it obviously includes that Fastino Espria hat-trick against Barcelona. But yeah, thanks a lot, Dan, for all your... He sent me, actually, a, a tweet. Uh, was it last? Yeah, I think it was last week asking me to, uh, my opinion on a couple of classic 90s tunes. I think it was uh, You Are The Number One, which was ITV's tune for Euro 92. And I'm Stronger Now, I think, for a football Italia. Of course, I went for a You Are The Number One. I think I've said it here before on the show that I absolutely love that tune. The, well, I think it's by Union and Paul Young. It was for Euro 92's theme for ITV. Probably one of the best bits of Euro 92, which we've called the Forgotten Tournament on here. And it also went on to the Ensley League show that me and Paul, no, sorry, Joel Young, not Paul Young, <laughs> discussed on the show a couple of episodes ago that uh, the Ensley League show, I think they used that as well for their theme tune. But absolute stonewall tune. You are the number one. Let's go. You have to do that a bit higher than Anna Deck. So, but thank you, Dan, for all your support. But let's get on with today's show. As I said, it is a bonus episode. Hopefully there'll be another one before we get back to the countdown. I'd really like to do an FA Cup finals of the 90s show because we haven't quite covered the finals. We did an FA Cup show uh, in January when, was it last year? Might have been the last season, yeah. And we talked about the FA Cup memories as a whole, but we haven't done finals. So I really want to do that. So keep your eye on your Twitter feed because hopefully we'll get that sorted as well. But we're talking playoffs today with our three guests as well as Fraser Digby. So before we get to that, let me just do the housework. Of course, you can follow us like Dan does at AK90s on Facebook and on Twitter. So please do give us a follow, give us a tweet, share us what you've got in your garage, your loft. We always like to see some 90s goodies. Um, it's, it's just just keep coming because I keep saying it. And I always say it on here that if there's something that I've forgotten and never mentioned and you can dig it out your garage, I'd love to see it. If you want to listen to old episodes, they're available on SoundCloud, on the website and on iTunes. And here it comes. If you are on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a review. It'd be so much appreciated so we can keep going. There's so much more I want to do with this podcast, not only here, but next season and some other avenues as well, which I won't go into, but there's some irons in the fire I really want to continue. And your support, your reviews on iTunes will really help that out. So let's get to the meat of the show. Let's talk playoffs in the 1990s. Really looking forward to this one. Richard Foster... Paul Benson, Paul Breen and Fraser Digby joining me on the phone. Here it is. I'm Ash Rose, alive and kicking. Let's go. The playoff picture. Okay, let's talk playoffs in the 1990s then. And something we haven't really done a lot of um, here on Alive and Kicking. So it'd be really good to talk playoffs and a little bit of lower league football as well. We've got two debutants with us, but I'll go firstly to a returning man who's been with us Last season, we did talk football and TV. He's a Grimsby Town fan and the man behind Hooked on Events for any wrestling fans, which I'm sure are out there who listen to me on the Gorilla Position podcast. Hooked on Events. If you like your wrestling, make sure you check these guys out. Paul Benson, welcome back to the show. 
Hello, Ash. It's been a while. Thank you very much for the plug. That's okay. Um, and thanks for having me back on. No, always, always, always a pleasure to have you. I'm going to refer to you as Benson for most of this because we have another Paul on the line as well. So uh, be Benson and Paul. So we'll get to them in a minute. Before we do, though, we're talking playoffs and a man who has literally written the book on the format. It's called The Agony in the XC, A Comprehensive History of the Football League Playoffs. Richard Foster, welcome to A Live Kicking. You're a Palace fan as well, aren't you? Uh, yes, I am, for my sins, but um, obviously I'm in a relatively buoyant mood today, and yeah. will be for the rest of the summer. Yes, of course, yeah, after sun- uh, Sundays, was it? Yeah, it was Sundays. Yeah, wasn't Sunday, yeah. nice 12 o'clock kickoff. so yeah. we couldn't even get a beer, because <laughs> norm- normally you need a couple to watch, but uh, not possible at 11 o'clock in the morning. Yes, exactly, and completing our trio, it's the other Paul, he's an author of a brilliant book called The Cholton Men. Uh, Paul Breen, welcome to the show. All right, thanks for inviting me on, Ash. Thank you for coming on. Uh, before we talk playoffs, then, and we talk about Richard's book, let's talk about yours. Uh, tell us a little bit about the, the Charlton Men. Okay, the Charlton Men is a work of fiction that I wrote in 2014. It was originally supposed to be part of a trilogy. Um, I've actually written two books. The first one, the Charlton Men, is set in 2012, the year that uh, we had a fantastic team under Chris Powell, and we ran away with the uh, League One, um, and then got from. Um, obviously got promoted um the second book then is called the bones of a season and that's actually based in the 2013 uh season which was okay for charlton but i think that's actually the start of the time which uh, i'm sure richard realizes when palace kind of soared above us and ended up winning in the in the playoffs with that goal from kevin phillips uh who was indeed actually, yeah yeah was, it was yeah, he was on the uh, losing side in the uh, the greatest playoff victory in Charlton's history back in in '98 when we beat Sunderland in penalties. So, um, well, I, I don't remember that game. What happened there? <laughs> <laughs> we we, uh, we had a, a very low scoring game, which uh, yeah, it was really dull, wasn't it? Yeah, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that later. Don't worry. <laughs> but it's available from Amazon, all good bookshops. Yes, Paul. Yeah, yeah, it's available on uh, Amazon and in bookshops and um, you know, also available from the publisher who are Thames River Press. So um, both that and the sequel are available on Amazon and I have my own page on Amazon as well. So I'd be very happy if any listeners check that out, whether they're Charlton fans or not. And I think even Palace fans would uh, <laughs> enjoy some of the banter in the sequel as well. Uh, do we get mentioned? Yeah, you could mention quite a bit, actually, because there's a lot of uh, reference back to our time when we were evicted from the valley and how we fought to get back again and some of our uh, tenancy at Selhurst, which uh, I think is still a sore point for a lot of, of Charlton fans. And uh, Yeah, I, I do I do get that impression. I thought we were very nice to lend you our ground, but you weren't very grateful about that. Right, right? I'm going I'm to step in this banter <laughs> because it's not a Charlton and Palace <laughs> show, so uh, yeah. I should have thought of that when I got you two on. But yes, very much. Check out the book. Um, I've, I've read it myself and I've lived in that area. I'm not a Charlton fan, but it's great to sort of Greenwich is very much part of it as well. So I used to live that way. So great stuff. Check uh, Paul's book out. So that's but that's talk playoffs and uh, your book, uh, Mr. Richard Forster. We it's basically everything you need to know about the playoffs. I mean, we'll talk about it bits and bobs going through, but just a little plug to how it's what, what it's formatted like and and how you got to writing it. Yeah, well, I originally had this idea a long time ago, and I'm sure 
Paul Breen, as opposed to Benson, uh, knows that books take a long time to gestate and then yeah. uh, you, you eventually get round to writing it and then you've got to rewrite it. And uh, So the actual... When I trace back why I wrote this book is... Which we will come on to, so I'm not going to go into any detail, but 1996 and 1997, uh, two playoff finals which Palace were involved in, which really encapsulate the agony and the ecstasy. Mm -hmm. But uh, about uh, 10 years later, I started thinking, right, well, I'd started to do some writing, freelance and things, and I was thinking I should write a book, shouldn't I? Which was probably one of the worst decisions of my life, because it's it's a long, old process. No, it's it's a fantastic process, uh, but it's it's a slog. Um, So I started doing the research, and then the most important thing is obviously, excuse me, Finding out if anyone else—sorry, <coughs> finding out if anyone else has written one, and they haven't. And I thought this is a bit odd. They've been going for twenty years, and no one's written a book about them. And they are, you know, they're big games. They're available, you know, the, the big audiences. Mm. People love the playoffs. A lot of people loathe the playoffs, but generally they're accepted as fantastic matches. So got on with writing it, uh, and eventually. We published the first edition in 2015. Uh, so there's a lot of work to do, because if you're doing a history, you've got to cover every single aspect. You can't leave any gaps. So that's why it takes a long time. Uh, the other thing with writing a history of something like the playoffs is, annoyingly, every year, the history changes. Of course, yeah. So uh, we've revised it this year, particularly. We've made a bit of a really big effort to make this sort of drawing a line a little bit in the sand because it's the 30th anniversary of their introduction. So I've added quite a bit to the original edition, updated it, revised it, put in some stuff from 2016. So I interviewed uh, Neil Ardley from AFC Wimbledon, for example, who were one of the stories of last season. Uh, Michael Gray, who we famously know, missed a penalty against um, some South London club, can't remember. Uh, um, So it's... Basically, I think we're now at the position where there aren't too many other details we could we could put into the book, and I'm, I'm very happy with the way it looks. It's a fantastic um, design, and I think a lot of people, when they open the book, the first thing they go to are these amazing infographics which describe each club's uh, appearances in the playoffs, and there have been 97 clubs that have been in the playoffs. Uh, semi-finals included obviously um and it's just a work of art and uh i just write the words around the pictures basically brilliant well for anyone check that out again amazon and all that all the usual places amazon ockley are the publishers you go direct to them uh, and it is in major bookstores stores um so warstones wh smith they will have copies if they don't you can order them they'll get them the next day brilliant because i love the picture of bobby zamora on the front so that's me being selfish but yeah great moment that was a, oh, that sums up the playoffs for me but that's for another decade that's before we get into the <laughs> knee deep of the playoffs let's talk our football cvs paul it's your second time on so we're talking games i know you're agonizing over one of them so that we'll get to that in a minute but surprise me with the grimsby game of the 90s the grimsby game of the 90s can only be um our well you could go with one of the two in the 1998 season our first two appearances at wembley um and seeing as we're talking playoffs let's go with that um, 1-0 against Northampton uh, in the second division playoff final 
Um, in, in a in a vacuum, the game wasn't great, but it was our first ever uh, promotion through the playoffs. Uh, we had a winner by one of my all-time favourite players, Kevin Donovan, and it meant we yeah. were back into the second tier, which was just phenomenal. So I'm going with that as my favourite Grimsby game in the 90s. Cool. We'll touch a bit and more also, on that later. If, if I could throw in here, uh, <clears throat> the semi-finals, you beat Fulham. Correct. Uh, and there, there was a Peter Beardsley. I don't know if you've heard of him. He was playing for Fulham at that time. Name rings Don- well. Donovan scored the winning goal in the second leg, did he not, as well? He did, yeah, after a 1-1 draw, yeah. And uh, I know this off the top of my head, that the attendance at your final against Northampton was just shy of 63,000, which is pretty phenomenal. That is the population That is the population of, Bur- of Grimsby, isn't it? <laughs> I you said Burnley. And Fleetwood. Yeah. It's not far off. Yeah. Okay, yeah, well, at, did you decide on your overall game outside of Blundell Park then? Outside of Blundell Park, my overall game, uh, yeah, to be honest, what do you pick at, if you're not picking your own team? Do you pick one that's quality? Do you pick something that's remarkable? I wanted to go something that's probably not been mentioned as much as others. So in the end, I'm going to plump for um, a match in January 1994. It's a Premier League game between Manchester United uh, and Liverpool. At Anfield, and this was the first true classic I remember yeah. seeing in the Premier League. The black League. hit, yeah. The black hit, you got three Man United goals in the first 30 minutes. It looks like it's absolute smooth sailing at that point. And I was a bit of a Man United glory hound at that point. Um, and then you've got two Nigel Clough goals and a late Neil Ruddock equaliser. And it was just an absolute roller coaster. I felt pretty shattered after it, but looking back in hindsight, it was the first game I actually watched in the Premier League, which was just truly blew my mind so yep 3-3 three, three Anfield's what I'm going for mm. I, I think because of the 4-3 obviously the famous 4-3 that one gets overlooked doesn't it but I, I that, remember that game three really it. fondly and Neil Ruddock nearly knocking himself out on that header at the, in the, in the equaliser wasn't it oh, it was wonderful and you're right those two 4-3s with Liverpool Newcastle mean this one gets a bit forgotten about but yeah I wanted to show a bit of love <laughs> yeah no good good choice um, and as we've got two debutants we go back to the start and their favourite players so let's start with Paul Breen uh, your favourite I know you, you've said to me pre-pod that you're kind of a late comer to Cholton but if you could look him back who would you say was the Cholton player of the 90s uh, I think I think actually the player that I would actually pick um, even though I think Clive Mondonka would have to be the uh the number one, um, of course, and uh, I think Mark Kinsella would also have to be up there. I think I would go for some of the players that maybe played more of an understated role but were there constantly. Um, and I think I'd probably go for Steve Brown actually, okay. uh, who I'm, I'm in contact with on on LinkedIn, and I'm following his career now as he, he tries to. Uh, break into management in the non-leagues, the lower leagues and so on. Um, and I think the reason I would go for him is because he was very versatile, played for Charleston throughout the 90s. Um, he scored one of the penalties in the uh, playoff game after coming on as substitute. But he also as well, uh, several times in the 90s, he had uh, unexpected cameos in goal, including one game against Manchester City where the regular keeper got injured and then he was called into nets. So he, he was one of those players, I think, that was just very steady and consistent. And it was actually his birthday a couple of days ago, and I, I tweeted that and I had about 50 or 60 people following up. So he was very, very popular. And I think I always like to um, 
support you know the the underdog and, mm. and and somebody maybe who um wasn't the most famous of players but actually you know like all the players in in Charlton's history at that time you know he did help to turn the club around from where they were again I'm not going to harp on about the, what Palace did to us uh, you know, <laughs> or Richard's benefit but I mean it, 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 they did go from you know basically being homeless at the start of the 90s to uh get into the premiership with with you know quite limited resources um <coughs> but we actually got uh, Clive Madonka from Grimsby just the the summer before that you know we we went up that season and before that through the whole 90s I think Charlton had been a you know a selling club um and we we had to even sell Rob Lee to build part of the the valley as the legend goes so um yeah I'd go for somebody like Steve Brown who was who was there throughout and uh you know played his part and got us back up to the the Premiership, which hopefully in the next couple of years will be will be um, back again, and we'll bypass Palace on the way down. I'm going to stop this. Um, this banter. Can I just jump in here, just briefly? Um, I met Steve Brown because I did um, a BBC Radio London show last year about the playoffs, and he was the other guest. Um, and he's an absolutely lovely bloke. And as you say, he was trying to get into coaching. I think he'd just been at Lewis FC and had been. Yeah. And then he left there and he, he was actually telling me, I think he was going to the States for a bit to not quite sure what he was doing, but no, um, lovely guy. And I think you're right, uh, Paul. He's just one of those reliable people that you love at your club, not flashy, not, you know, the big Mr. Kahuna. He was just a really steady guy and, and, and a lovely chap to meet as well. Yeah, yeah. As I will say, repeat on this podcast because I grew up a lot around Charlton fans when I was a kid. Um, Steve Brown is very much he's very much admired among them. So, but outside the valley, your favourite player of the nineties, Mister Breen? Uh, I think I think I'd actually go for somebody that played for the uh, Republic of Ireland team through the nineties, and, and I kind of would like to say Niall Quinn or Tony Cascarino, but I can't because of their their their. Uh, their sort of um, connections at uh, uh, Cascarino with, uh, with Millwall. And then, of course, Niall Quinn was the man who almost wrecked the playoff final for Charlton. So I'm going to go for somebody who should have been a Charlton player, um, but it's one of those that we missed out on. We've got a bit of a, a history of, of that, unfortunately. Um, Andy Townsend. Yeah. Uh, and he played for Welling United. And I'm not, I think he was born somewhere in, in, in Kent. Um, and he actually worked in, in Greenwich. And um, apparently, he. I was chatting to somebody recently, and they said he could have signed for Charlton, and you know, but he didn't. And the rest is history. And you know, through the nineties, from um, I think he made his debut for Ireland around eighty nine, so he was very much a part of that whole Jack Charlton uh, era. And uh, he played in in two World Cups for us. And, you know, he was I think he was the captain in in ninety four. So he's really. You know, he's very much at the at the heart of that whole um, time in, in in Ireland again, when you know the, the the team went from basically always coming close but never quite getting close enough to being taken over by by Jack Charlton, and you know he stamped his whole identity on it and really led them to great things, and mm-hmm. you know. Good um, stuff, yeah, good stuff. Um, yeah, Andy down to less said about his tactics truck in the following decade, the better though. Uh, Richard, let's wrap it up then with yours. I know you nearly broke our Twitter feed with your 
suggestion of who you should pick for your Palace player of the 90s. Who did you plump for in the end? Well, I like to be democratic. At, uh, oh, no, know, it's I'm, good, I'm it's not, good. I'm not one of these people who just makes a decision and then mm-hmm. that's it. Um, well, I did have a lot of, <laughs> yeah, it's quite a bit of interest in that. Um, so, I mean, early 90s, uh, when obviously the 1990 FA Cup final was quite a big moment for us all. Uh, and Ian Wright was an incredible uh, player for us. And in fact, used to play for Greenwich Borough. So there's a connection with uh, the Greenwich uh, area again. But he did move to Arsenal quite soon afterwards for various reasons. And then he did also kiss his badge when he relegated us in 1993. Yeah. So he's not going to make it. Uh, his strike partner... Uh, you know, the best strike partnership ever because they actually rhymed was Mark Bright, who really was one of those understated players because Wright got all the, the headlines because he scored loads of goals. R- Bright scored loads of goals, but not quite in the same way. But he was good at assisting. He doesn't get into it. Nigel Martin, uh, possibly our greatest goalkeeper outside Julian Speroni. But in the end, I've gone for Jeff Thomas because... Um, Again, a little bit like Steve Brown, a fairly understated player. I know everyone goes on about the shot he had for England against France. My first ever game that was, I remember it. I was there. Was it really? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, try to erase that from your memory. He, yeah. was, he was a hugely important person for us. He was an influential captain. He uh, was one of those midfield players who did a huge amount of work. And, you know, he, he was an inspirational captain. And then you also have to consider, I know it doesn't, actually relate to the decade of the 90s, the fact that he contracted really serious leukaemia, has fought back, and is now, currently, as we speak, he is doing the most ridiculous bike ride to raise money, in that he's doing the Giro d'Italia, the Vuelta, and also the Tour de France, consecutively. That's that's my mileage. You know, I mean, I struggled cycle to the post office yeah um i can barely guy, ride a bike richard so that's amazing to me <laughs> there you go. uh but you know a, a really admirable bloke i've met him a couple of times and he is just one of the nicest people you could meet not nice in the p- sort of pejorative sense just a really really decent fella who has done a huge amount but on the field <clears throat> you know he led us to probably our greatest period apart from the one we're in now yeah, oh, good choice. Yeah, couldn't argue that at all. And then outside of Selhurst Park, um, who would be overall your favourite player of the 90s? Well, he's my favourite player of the 90s. He's the best player I've ever seen live. He's probably my favourite player. Uh, and that is Paul Gascoigne. Yeah, regular choice. No, no, sorry to be unoriginal, but um, I saw him once. I don't know why, but I went to a Tottenham-Oxford United FA Cup oh, game. A one, yeah. And he was absolutely sensational. I mean, just you watched him and went, how did you do that? And I also remember seeing him playing for Newcastle against Palace. We went up there in the FA Cup and he absolutely tore us apart. Um, And he was just one of those players who had such gifts. Um, And and clearly for England, you know, he had his two very... um, He had two highlights, probably... uh, 1990 Italia, which everyone will remember, and obviously the 1996 Euros. Uh, I, I mean, that goal he scored against Scotland, I could watch a million times and I'll still enjoy it. Mm. Uh, and, and again, 
sort of it, it is incredibly sad what has happened to Gascoigne and the way he's been exposed in the media and I just think that is just hideous I mean I obviously write for the media but I, I, I think the way some people expose you know someone who's a vulnerable person he's he's got a disease just leave him alone for God's sake um, but he is by far and away my man of the 90s Good, yeah, can't definitely can't argue with that because he's a regular choice. He'd probably be mine if I was pushed come to shove. Because yeah, and I think at one point, probably next season, we'll do a show on Gaza. So yeah, we'll get some people on for that to talk about Paul Gascoigne. Um, but today we're talking we're talking playoffs. So let's get into it. We're already twenty minutes in. We've really not touched on it. So it's going to be a good long show. Um, before we talk sort of individually about the certain teams and then more about uh, Richard's book. Just going to ask you, kind of your favourite memories, really, from the playoffs. Paul Benson, we'll start with you. Outside of Grimsby's win, obviously, in 1998, what sort of games and stickouts for you from the 90s of the playoffs? There, well, there's, there's two, to be honest, that really stick in my mind. I think I mentioned the first one last time I was on. It was the 93-94 um, the uh, playoff final, uh, the first division playoff final between Derby and Leicester. Yeah. Um, and that sticks out because it was the first game. You know, I was... I was sort of a, a football fan at an arm's length prior to that. You know, I watched the 1990 World Cup and I dabbled here and there. But that was the first ever game I sat down and made a concerted effort to watch from start to finish. And it pretty much, pretty much hooked me for the next 20-odd years. Um, so that one's always going to have a, a real sort of nice place in my heart. Uh, and the other one is one that um, has been mentioned already today. It's the 4-4. Um, it's the, one of the greatest games of all time certainly the greatest playoff final and also the crowning achievement of my favourite Grimsby player of all time Clive Mendonca yeah. so I was very much a Charlton fan yeah. that day and, and a Charlton fan when they went up that season it was such a shame he got injured so early in the season because who knows what he could have achieved if not for that yeah no, we'll, we'll, again we'll talk more in detail about that in just a bit but yeah it is a great game um, Mr Breen is uh, outside of that game for you what do you think of when you think of 90s playoffs uh I always think when you know a lesser team or an unexpected team actually got promoted. So one that I can think of, a couple that I can think of offhand. I think remember, I think it was Torquay beat Blackpool in one of the uh, the fourth division playoff yeah, in ninety one. Yeah, yeah. ninety one. Yeah, um, I know being a, a a very small club and and never having gone higher, actually, than the third tier. That was quite an achievement for them. And then I think the year that Swinton beat Leicester in the in yeah. the hospital, um, and they won 4-3, they won yeah, uh, yeah. and, and Leicester uh, had come back from being 3-0 down. I think, again, you know, even though Leicester weren't as, as big then as they effectively are now, I mean... They were probably most people's most people's favourites. Um, so I think those are the, those are two of them. And then, of course, you know the uh, the Charleston game in '98 again. Um, you know, the, I think it. What I really remember about that is, even though I wasn't there, you know, it, I remember listening to it on the radio back in Ireland, and it was just it was so passionate and and and. Um, such a fantastic atmosphere that actually that you know that when it came to um, writing my second book I devoted a whole a whole chapter to the idea of somebody following that game on the radio and you know being there and um, 
you know, the, the, the contrast then was with one of my characters who was a lifelong Charlton fan and was there as a kid and watched the game and somebody else who was following the match in Ireland. And I didn't really have to do very much research because I can almost remember every minute of that, even though I was watching it or listening to it from, from a distance. Um, and just trying to think of... of yeah, there's although, a lot of games. <laughs> there's a lot of games. I'd love to sit here and talk about all of them, but we're talking sort of 30 games odd here. Um, Richard, can you pick out quickly a couple of moments? Obviously, you know them more than best, but who, what would you say your favourite moments of the, of the playoffs in this decade were? Well, I, I would go with Man City Gillingham yeah. in 1999, which, quite frankly, we could all write a book about. We could. Because it had stony subplots going on. Um, you know, one of the classics was the fact that Paul Dickoff, who scored the ridiculously late equaliser past Bartram, uh, Bartram was his best man at his wedding a couple of months beforehand. Um, you also had Tony Pulis falling out with uh, a chairman, which is not unusual, but uh, it was about the first time. He didn't speak to Scully for two months, I think, before the actual final itself. Uh, and then there was all, you know... <clears throat> the fact that this was the turnaround for Man City pretty much. And, and you speak to any Man City fan of any uh, stature and they usually say that is the pivotal yeah. moment. Because if they'd have been in the third tier for another season, they may well have gone the way of lots of clubs who just disappear off the face of the earth. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, an extraordinary game. And, and I also think what some people forget is what had happened three days before was that Man United had completed their treble in that ridiculous game in Barcelona when they scored two late goals against Bayern Munich. So the parallel there and the fact that <clears throat> City were being overshadowed so much by United, you know, they won the treble. It hasn't happened before or since. Uh, and City, if they'd have lost that, and let's face it, Gillingham scored in the 81st and the 85th minute, I think, off the top of my head. Mm. When you score two goals that late, you're pretty much there. You listen to the commentary, they're all saying, and Gillingham have reached the second tier of English football for the first time ever. It was all done and dusted, and then, you know, we know what happened. So I think that one really stands out. Uh, there are obviously lots of others. I'm not going to choose a Palace one because that would be just favouritism. Uh, I would either go for actually the first ever playoffs final at Wembley because I think it marks a really important part because before it was a two-leg final yeah. home the work. That was Cambridge United beating Chesterfield 1-0. But the fact that Dion Dublin scored that goal uh, and Dion Dublin scored a lot of goals and he's always called that his most important goal ever. So that's a guy who was a Premier League top scorer. Uh, a few years later uh, and I think the other one I would go for amazingly would be and not because of the game itself but because of the significance of it, it is really Notts County who beat Brighton uh, unfortunately for Brighton um, in the what was then the second tier in 1991 the reason why that was significant was that is the only time a team has won two successive playoffs because they'd won it the year before in the third tier against Tranmere. Uh, so that's the only time it's happened. The manager was a guy you might have heard of. He's a wily little rascal called Neil Warner. Yep. He's done well. He did well at Loftus Road, i tell you that. Yeah, he did all right there. Yeah, yeah he did, as most people do well at Loftus Road. And um, 
But uh, the fact is that Notts County, when they appeared in that first final in 1990, that was the first time they'd ever been to Wembley. And they are the oldest professional football club still going. And it was 101 years after they started playing league football, they managed to get to Wembley, just happened to be in the playoffs final. And then they did it again the following year. And they won, you know, successive promotions. So for those sort of background reasons, I'd choose them. Yeah, no, good. It's good we got those mentioned as well, because I, I would love to get them all mentioned. But as I say, there are so many. Um, one of which is, is Swindon, because in the early 90s, we'll talk about your own teams in a minute, but let's just quickly cover Swindon, because they're two quite important playoffs, especially the first one. So the first ever sort of second division playoff, as it was at the time, uh, they, it's Swindon's first game. They, they beat Sunderland, but they weren't promoted. Uh, due to some FIFA, uh, some FA regulations that they broke, uh, Richard, give us kind of a, a sort of summary of what happened here, because um, it was the first one of the of the '90s. So we, the players were still relatively new at that point, weren't they? And it wasn't a great start to the decades version, was it? Well, no. <coughs> the irony is because, as, as I said earlier, that was the first year that they got they'd been played at Wembley. They'd started in 1987. And you have to remember that in 1987, 1988, there was also a relegation slot. So it was relegation slot and three teams trying to come up. So the format had sort of settled down by the time we got to 1990. One-off final, Wembley. <clears throat> Cambridge was the first one, and then Swindon. Uh, and there were rumours uh, circling that there were some issues with financial irregularities, payments to players that hadn't been declared by the chairman, Brian Hillier, and also Lou Macari, the manager, was under some suspicion at that time. Um, so the rumours were circling that there might be something happening. Swindon beat Sunderland 1-0, Alan McLaughlin goal. And then literally, I think it must have been the following week, the Football League sat down and said, actually, what we're going to do is we're going to not allow you to be promoted. And originally, they relegated them. And then Swindon appealed uh, and they said, OK, we're not going to relegate you, but you're not going up. So very unfortunate for Football League. I had this centrepiece, you know, this Wembley final, the big final. And actually it was irrelevant because Sunderland got beaten, but still went up, um, having beaten Newcastle, interestingly, yeah. in the semi-finals, uh, which was a classic semi-final because they drew nil all at Roker. Mm. And then they won 2-0 at St James's Park, which didn't go so well with the locals who ran onto the pitch. Uh, so, yeah, um, that was 1990. And as I say, I think it was unfortunate, but it does stick in people's minds. People do remember what happened to Swindon. And Sunderland, that's the only time they've been promoted via the playoffs, uh, is when... They actually lost the final. So, um, unusual circumstances. Yeah. And then let's, talk, let's bring the other guys in and talk 1993. Uh, Paul Breen, you've already mentioned that the 4 3 Gray and the Glenn Hoddle team. I mean, what do you remember about that team and, and, and again, that game? Yeah. Um, I remember, I think, again, uh, going back to what said, you know, that there was a sense of probably injustice, I think, about, our, about what had happened to, to Swindon leading up to that. So, I think when they actually got to the. Uh, up to the playoff final, that's one reason why then a lot of people were maybe rooting for them. And um, I think Glenn Hoddle as well, you know, had been such a, an absolutely popular player and, and you know, was a pretty good um, manager as well until he, you know, had a bit of misfortune, um, which probably the tabloids blew out of proportion. So I think he built a really, really good team um, at Swinton. I remember 
He brought in Mickey Hazard, who yeah. with them there again um, at the weekend at the uh, Parade of Legends at Brighton Lane. And I think there were other people in that, that team as well, like um, Nicky Somerby and um, Paul Bowden, you know, players who had been down through the to the through different clubs and in, in their in their time. And um, I remember uh, Swindon. They went ahead, and I think Glenn Glenn Hoddle maybe scored. scored. He did. He scored the first goal early, just before half time. Yeah. And then they they went uh, two and three nil up, and then yeah. I think just all of a sudden in in, in about ten or fifteen minutes, um, Leicester came back again. I think a very talented player at the time, um, Julian Georgium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he scored the first goal. Yeah, and then you know it was it was three all, and you know at that point it looked like. Uh, not that history is going to repeat itself because they'd beaten Sunderland in, in the 1990 game, but that once again, you know, they were going to be very, very unlucky. Um, and then I remember they got the penalty. Um, yeah. I think it was Paul Bowden, who I mentioned, who uh, scored the goal and, and sent them up to the Premier League. And then I think because of what had happened to them, um, people felt that, you know, there was, there was a certain element of, of justice there because it, it wasn't the it wasn't the players' fault about what had happened in 1990. Um, and again, I think there was there was actually somebody in that Swinton Town team as well who went on to become a manager again of, of Torquay because I've covered quite a few stories about Torquay and their Torquay United and their owners in recent times. And um, Martin Ling was mm-hmm. uh, in yeah the, he, he played definitely yeah and. Uh, you know, he became manager of, of Swinton later on and um, Torquay as well. And, you know, he suffered mental health issues. Yeah. But right. I think how he has he is made a recovery. So, um, again, it's, you know, somebody who has had their, their, their problems in the game actually had, you know, one great moment in the, in the limelight and you know, will always be remembered for being a part of that team. So, yeah, yeah I think... Uh, what stands out for me is just the, I think the, the ordinariness of, of you know that many of those uh, Swinton players and how they you know they, they worked so hard to get up again after having the, the adversity of 1990. And that's why it's memorable for me. And, and Benson, I mean that game it kind of sums up the playoffs. There were a lot of bonkers games in the 90s when it comes to playoffs, and and then the following season, Swindon losing Hoddle didn't quite work out for you, and it often happens for the playoff team, doesn't it? Yeah, that's it. It's it's one of those where if you, it's like any team. If you if you, if you come so close to reaching the highs, you, you you come just close enough to to put all your players in the shot window. Um, happened happened with us on a few occasions when we lost John Oster, Clyde Mendonca, Gary Croft after great seasons. Um, and the problem is, once you've got those holes in smaller teams, it's really hard to to plug them. And you often find yourself starting from square one again next the, the season after. And, like I say, we, we had that sort of in um, in the mid-90s on a couple of occasions where we sort of just missed out on, on the playoff spot, sort of just mid-table, and then we lose a good player, and then the next season we're battling relegation. And it was a bit of a cycle for us all all through the 90s and has repeated itself in recent years in, uh, in non-league, actually. Mm. 
Well, we'll talk a little bit more Swindon now with our today's guest on the phone. Um, he played in both those finals, and he's a very much a Swindon man. Uh, he played to play for QPR as well, but we won't talk about that in another decade, so don't worry. He is former goalkeeper Fraser Digby talking to me earlier on today on Alive and Kicking. Fraser Digby, welcome to Alive and Kicking. Thank you for joining us today. Not a problem at all. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Oh, it's good to chat to you. We're taking you back to, to the 90s, and on this week's show, we're talking playoffs and you were involved in and some big games, especially at the, the beginning of the yeah. 90s. Um, that's, that's, before we talk about that, I mean, you were at Swindon. Just tell us how you got there in the first place. Uh, Swindon, I, I uh, initially went on loan um, back in United. Um, but I, I was playing some reserve games. Um, then Gary Walsh was coming through. He was a year younger than me. Um, so it was basically the following season. We'd have been fighting out for the reserves. Uh, with Tristan in the first team um, and Ron sort of helped with Gary the nod over me um, and, and sort of Luke came along and said well you know do you want to come on loan to Swindon um, who were they, they gained promotion from the fourth division as it was then um, with record number of points um, and then in the third division uh, and I thought well you know let's give it a go uh, and I went down and uh, you know, really enjoyed my time there. You did. And as I said, we're talking playoffs. And we start right at the beginning of the decade in 1990. Swindon had a fantastic season, got to the playoff yeah. final, beat Sunderland. And of course, due to regulations, irrelevancies they did, um, it wasn't to be. I mean, how did that make you feel? I mean, what different in contrast to emotions, winning the playoff final oh. and then saying well, you're not I mean, going to go up? It was, it was, it was, it, it was the most surreal time because I think we didn't hear about our fate until uh, several weeks after the playoff final. So you've gone through, you know, you've gone leading up to the playoffs. We had, we had two cracking games in the playoffs against Wigan and then and then got to the final at Wembley. You know, I mean, I was fortunate I played at Wembley in the schoolboys, but to go back with, 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 with Swindon, you know, after leaving Man United and joining Swindon and going back to, you know, playing at Wembley in the playoffs, it was an unbelievable feeling, you know, and to beat Sunderland there as well, and um, you know, to, to gain promotion, you know, I was you know, I was so looking forward to going back to Old Trafford the next year and and playing United, you know, and top division and everything. And and you just to then, you know, so you're on cloud nine after the game, the celebrations were unbelievable. Um and then several weeks later, you know, you got the thought that you've been relegated. And initially we were relegated two divisions. Um, which would have put us, you know, instead of going into the first division, it put us back into the third division. It should have been an absolute travesty. Um, fortunately, we went to Sunderland and we, we got back into the championship, but still it doesn't make up for the fact that you'd, you'd worked a whole season and, and, and gained promotion. Um, so it was, it was an awful time, really. It was a, a crazy time for the club. I mean, you did achieve promotion eventually. It wasn't the next season. Did that kind of sense of injustice kind of galvanise you for the next couple of years? Was it almost a commission to finally make it all the way to the Premier League? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, the following season was difficult because obviously, um, Ozzy Adilas was our manager. He got us, you know, he got us to Wembley and, and got us promoted. Um, but then it all went flat. The following season was a difficult season. Ozzy left and went to to Newcastle, um, and we, uh, you know, we, we struggled a bit that season. Um, and then it wasn't until, you know, they got going hodling. Um, the following season, he changed it and. Uh, you know, we had a fantastic year and, and, and gained promotion. Um, so it was, it was, 
you know, it was a feeling of justice. And I think, to be honest, it took a bit of a shine. It was a fantastic game at Wembley, 4 3 against Leicester. You know, it was a fantastic game and a, and, and a great achievement. But I think it was one of, it was more of, well, we should have been there three years ago. It took a little bit of a pain off the, the whole, you know, getting promoted thing, really. What was it like with Glenn Hoddle's arrival? I mean, at that time, he was still playing as a player manager. How good was Glenn, and, and what was it like to... Cause it was quite an odd move at the time to go to Swindon, wasn't it? It, it was, you know. I mean, he was, he, he was at Chelsea at the time, and, and uh, you know, it was almost a, they, it was almost as if they loaned us, loaned us Glenn, really, you know. Um, but it, it, it was a fantastic time to be at the club, you know, to, to work with someone of his ability. I mean, the bloke could, could hit, uh, you know, hit a sixpence from 50 yards away. You know, his fantastic ability. Um, and, and the way that we played at the time, he played in a, a sweeper behind two great centre-backs that we had in Colin Coldwell and Sean Taylor. Um, and, and, and we played, you know, we, we, we played five at the back and, and, and played the wing-backs and it really suited our style. And, and you didn't have the back pass rule either. So as a goalkeeper, I could pick it up and, and roll it out you know, invariably you rolled it to Glenn or, or you know, you, you threw it out to your, you know, your wing-backs and uh, it, it, was, it, was a, it was totally different from the way we played with, with Ozzy, but it worked for us and, uh, you know, we, we gained promotion to the Premiership. And what was that feeling finally like to know, you said it's slightly painted, but to even get there and finally know you were going back to Old Trafford, was it a sense of relief as well? Oh, massive, massive. It was, you know, after this huge disappointment from three years ago, you know, I mean, People don't get the chance for that to happen once in the career, let alone for us to go and do it twice. Um, so to go back to Wembley and, and, and then know that we're definitely there and we've got promoted and, and you know we're going to some of the you know greatest stadiums in the country, you know, and uh, it was a great sense of relief and, and, and real excitement that we that, you know we were finally there. We have to talk about the next season. I mean, Glenn left that summer and John Gorman took over, and then Swindon struggled yeah. in the Premier League. Do you think that at the time it needed a more experienced head to replace Glenn? You know, John's a great coach, but going into that Premier League season, do you think he needed a, a bigger game to, to steer your ship? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, John, John is and was one of the nicest men you could ever wish to meet. And he, he was a lovely fella, and he did everything he could for us. Um, but when you lose someone of Glenn's ability, you know, we lost Colin Calderwood to, to Tottenham as well. You know, they were too... You know, your captain and your, and your manager, you know, going into the hardest league in the, you know, in, 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 the, in the world, you know, it's, it's like it was always going to be a, a mountainous task. Um, and then for John, it, it was his first management role. You know, it was a massive learning process for him as well. And I think it, it was. It was too much for us as players and, 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 and too big a step for, for John as well, I think, you know, realistically looking at it. Um, it, it was a fantastic experience and we... You know, we played some great football, but, you know, we just weren't, we were out of our depth, really. You know, we didn't have enough experience in there, um, you know, to, to, to cope with it, you know. Um, and so we never really, we never really got going that season, which is a shame, but, you know, we, it was entertaining. Let's put it that way. It was very entertaining, I suppose, for a neutral, maybe not for yourselves, but can you pick up yeah. on that from that season? And I'm, I'm a QPR fan, I remember you doing the double over QPR. Yeah. Would that be it? <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I think I think I think uh, you know I think you and Tottenham were probably our best two clubs that we played in the Premiership. We did all right against both of you. So, but apart from that, I mean, 
you know, we, we drew two all with with United at, at Swindon, which was a you know for us was a fantastic result. Um, you know, like you say, we beat we beat Tottenham at home. We drew with them away. We, we, we did the double over QPR, but. I mean, the highlights was just was just going to these clubs and pitching yourself against the best players in the country. You know, I mean, we had some great battles against Blackburn, and I mean, I had personal battles with with, with Alan Shearer. You know, and I managed to stop him getting a hat trick on both games. He only got two goals, which was great. But do you know what I mean? It, it was fantastic experience. You know, and and to pit your wits against those sort of top international players was was was, was great, and it was great to be involved with the club. You know. We, we, we struggled, but you know, at least we've been there. You know, at least we can look back at it. You know, I can look back at it now, you know, 20 years ago, and you know, and and you know, it was a great experience to be there. Yeah, it, it always is. I mean, you, you had a long association with Swindon as well, and you left, I mean, didn't leave till 1998. Is, is that the club that's most fondest to your heart? I, I, I think so. I mean, I still live. Um, I've got a business just out of Swindon now. Um, and I'm still doing little bits and pieces for them. I did some uh, work for the chairman on finding them a training ground because um, it's one of the businesses I've been involved in or I was involved in several years ago. Um, so I still do little bits and pieces for the club and, and, and I think it is. When you've had a, a union with them for, for 12 years, I mean, I always remember, you know, I had a great time under Holly at, Holly at um, QPR and, and I worked under Terry Venables at Crystal Palace. Um, and, and Stevie Coppel, you know, it's a privilege to go to those clubs. But I think when you when you've been 12 years at a club, um, you know, I had a testimonial. Alex Ferguson was fantastic and, and brought a team down for me for a testimonial. So, you know, it, it, it was a great time at Swindon, and you know, I just remember even the fans. You know, I remember playing it. Um, you know, when we when we played at, at CPR and, and all the Swindon fans, you know, CPR lads said to me. We've never seen an ex-player get a reception like you did. And as you said, well, you know, when you've been at a club that long and you've, you've done well for that club, it's, you know the, the fans hold me in for entire esteem, and it is, you know, it's humbling, you know, to, to have that. And so I suppose, yeah, Swindon is really close to my heart. Still. Yeah, absolutely. We always ask this to all guys on the, on the show. I mean, who would you say would be the best player you played with and against in that era of the nineties? Uh, I mean. Uh, to play, to, to play with in, in, in the team, you know. I mean, I looked at look at the obviously the nineties was all at Swindon Town, you know. And you look at the players of the likes of you know, you've got Glenn Hoddle in there, you've got Johnny Moncur, Mickey Hazard, um, you know, Colin Calderwood at the back. Um, it's difficult really to pick out one player for ability wise. You know, you know even he's a Aussie played a couple of days, you know, our dealers, you know, you know when you look at it. You know, Glenn's got to be the the player with the most ability in the Mickey Hazard. You know, they they were probably the two standout players for ability um, in in those in those ten years, really. And against, I mean, you faced the strikers that season. Who would you say was up there? You mentioned Shearer before. Would he be the one? Well, I mean, if you look at you know in, in the Premiership, you've got you know Alan Shearer, Andy Cole. You know, uh, I had the pleasure of going back on loan in ninety two, ninety three, twelve Trafford when Eric Pantano mm-hmm. came to the club. You know, and, and you know, I, I saw it first hand in training what he was capable of. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you take any of those, any of those three there. Um, you know, they were fantastic. I think Coley scored 
I think, what did he get? 48 goals that year for Newcastle. Um, so it was quite fun because we were the only team who didn't score against the Premiership that year. Because I, I saved them and I think Rob Lee followed them in, I think. So, um, yeah, I mean, any of those players, you could pick any of them and they were, they were fantastic players. And finally then, you mentioned you've got business now. What are you up to these days? I'm, I'm doing... Um, I've, I've got a restaurant um, just outside of Marlborough, which is about seven or eight miles south of Swindon. Um, so we've got, I've got a little gastro pub there, which I spend most of my life in. Um, I, I do also do a little bit of um, sportswear. I, I sell a array of sportswear. Um, and I'm also helping with, with Swindon, um, a local planning company, um, to, to hopefully get planning for the, for the new training ground. Uh, it should be, which would be a fantastic legacy if we can sort that. Because Swindon have never had it, even in the Premiership, we never had our own training ground. Um, so I'm looking forward to hopefully, you know, seeing in a few years' time their own training ground. It'll be something that I'll be proud to say I've been involved in. Brilliant. Well, that's great stuff. Thank you very much for talking to us, Fraser. It's been great looking back. Cheers. No, no problem. Thanks, Ash. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers mate. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. Good stuff from Fraser then, but that's keep going, playoffs. Still got so much to talk about, so many games. Let's talk individual teams then. Um, we'll do this chronologically because I think that's the only that's the best way to do it. Um, and we've got Richard on, not only if he's a playoff expert, but he's a Palace fan. And for two years, Palace were very much part of the playoff picture uh, back in 1996, where they lost to Leicester and then the win in 97. Uh, talk us through those two games, two late goals in both games, um, your feelings and, and what you remember about those two games. Yeah, well, they're uh, imprinted in my memory, so uh, don't worry, I, I, I will drag them back without any problem. So, the first game in 96, uh, we beat Charlton in the semi-finals, which I'm sure Paul will remember, Paul Breen. Um, so, then we faced Leicester. Uh, we took an early lead through Andy Roberts uh, and then held it till I think it was about 15 minutes for the end and then Parker scored equalised for Leicester then we went into extra time then there was this ridiculous moment okay so we're entering the 119th minute everyone's knackered the players are knackered the fans are knackered everyone's thinking god we've got to go through penalties is is this really true when suddenly Martin O'Neill brings this guy off the bench and he was literally about, he looked about 10 foot, but he's about six foot seven, starts waving his arms around on the bench. We're thinking, what is he doing? What he is doing is he's about to replace his goalkeeper, Kevin Poole, who's quite a small chap, with this massive bloke called Kalach, who's Australian, I think Serbian extract. Um, And I, I, I remember very clearly thinking, we're never going to beat that guy he's so vast we're never going to get it past him and I have this theory that the Palace players also were looking at this going gee whiz what's going on here so 120th minutes coming by they they substitute Kalash on he comes and everyone's really thinking wow this penalty shooter is going to be as this goes on there's a free kick that's sort of hoisted into the box Steve Claridge who's knackered his usual sort of socks around his ankles he told me, I've interviewed him about this several times, he said he was so knackered he couldn't get into the box. He was on the edge of the box, the ball fell to him and he swung a leg at it and it basically did the most ridiculous curve off his shin, which I've always challenged and said, surely shin pads should be compulsory 
And if it had a shin pad, it wouldn't have curved into the net. So actually, that shouldn't have been allowed. Anyway, um, I haven't, haven't got any ruling on that as yet. And that was it. And the worst, the second worst feeling pretty much I've had at a football ground ever. And I've been to over 500 matches. So that was 96. 97, we returned to the playoffs final. And we're playing Sheffield United. Uh, and that game will not live in the memory for silky football. Yeah, I remember it, it was quite a dull game, yeah. Quite a dull game. It was absolutely atrocious. Two teams, you know, that really couldn't string a pass together. Awful. And we're thinking, oh, we're going to go through extra time. Have they got a 10-foot bloke to bring on and put <laughs> us off? Then the ball comes out of the corner to uh, good old David Hopkin, the man with no teeth and red hair. Who then just curls the most ridiculous shot into the top corner, and it's one of those ones. You know when a goal goes in, and there is almost like silence, and there's this sort of animated, suspended moment where we think, surely that hasn't actually gone in, has it? <laughs> and then eruption, ridiculous, ninetieth minute, and and I, I distinctly remember. Because we'd gone mad, absolutely mad. And then Sheffield United kicked off. And they were so befuddled by this, they just kicked the ball into touch. Because they didn't know... what they, they were just gone. And then a minute later, the final whistle blew. So, as I said earlier, that is where the agony and the ecstasy was actually founded all those years, 20 years ago, basically. Going through the agony of losing to Leicester and the ecstasy of beating Sheffield United. Mm. There were two, I was looking at the two teams, actually. For a season apart, they were quite different, weren't they, those Palace teams? There was a lot of changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we Martin had left by then. Um, I think we still had... The, the, basically, the people we still had... Hopkin left immediately after uh, he scored that game. Uh, in that game, he went to Leeds. But he played the season before. Um, we'd had... Uh, yeah, it, I think about three or four still mm. in the team, weren't yeah, there? Simon Roger, I think, was on the bench the first game. Roger, yeah, left-footed there. But yeah, uh, it was surprised me how much it changed. But yeah, great memories. Great, I remember that goal vividly. I remember, I remember watching that, and obviously you mentioned, you know, David Hopkin. He was kind of an image of the nineties, was he, with his no teeth and his ginger hair? Um, but that's yeah. that's, that's follow up with a season later. Then and talk nineteen ninety eight. We've talked already and touched on these two games, um, but let's bring Benson back in and talk about Grimsby, your double Wembley winning season. I've completely forgot about the what was the trophy called at the time, Benz? The auto wins. Oh, it was auto. Shield. Was it? Was it still auto? It at that was. Point? Yeah. So you'd won that against Bournemouth, and then. Obviously, the playoff final, you've mentioned it already as your game of the 90s, but let's just talk a little bit more in detail about it. It's best moment easily of the 90s for Grimsby, but what do you remember it as a fan? Well, I've watched this match back um, maybe five or ten years ago, and similar to um, Richard describing the 1997 Palace final, it's an atrocious game of football. Um, Northampton just didn't turn up. Um, we kind of, we even, even looking back on it, what would I have been about 16 at the time? I was just watching it and just thinking that from the moment we scored after about 19, 20 minutes, that was it. Um, they never got out of first gear. They looked like the occasion completely um, got to them. And we, we nearly made it. We had a late penalty um, that should have made it 2-0, but Donovan um, fluffed the spot kick, unfortunately. And then it, it just it just absolutely didn't get going. But 
the fact that we won at Wembley for the second time in about two months, having never previously appeared at Wembley uh, before that before that season, was was pretty amazing. Like, obviously, I didn't get a chance to celebrate it as I might have done if it happened today, being a young lad. Uh, but be, being at Wembley Stadium, the old Wembley, um, was just it was really overwhelming. The trip, I remember the trip back up to Grimsby. The train was delayed by three hours. Oh my God. Um, yeah, three hours. So we were sat at Kings Cross Station. Um, I can't remember. That it was a it probably wasn't a Starbucks back then, was it? It was probably some grimy little coffee shop. <laughs> um, and my dad wasn't a football fan at all, um, but he'd taken me down for the day. And he was sat on his hands while I was trying my best to join him with all the drunken, all, drunken town supporters um, so celebrating a win. I just must, must look like such a phony in my little Dixon-sponsored Grimsby shirt, um, just trying my best to fit in with the, with the grown men. But yeah, the game, like I say, the game itself, I often found player finals in the 90s where there were never really any middling games. Yeah. They were either absolute barn burners because both teams just went all out to win and to score or you found two teams that were uber cautious, didn't want to give anything away, and it resulted in a complete stalemate, um, which is what we got. We didn't even get the um, excitement of a last-minute winner. The, the, like I said, the game was settled after 20 minutes, and, and that was pretty much it. Um, frankly, it doesn't hold a candle to the uh, auto-win-screen shield final at Wembley, which was a fantastic game with a comeback for town and an extra time, golden goal win. Um, but yeah, always remember it fondly. It's, it's, I think... Right in thinking, it's the last time we won at Wembley until we won the playoffs in the uh, from the conference last year. Wow! Yeah, you, you write about the game as well. There's like Bolton Reading in in '95, what we actually mentioned. That was another four three, another barnstormer of a game. Phenomenal. Um, but '98, of course, we've touched on it quite a few times already because it's such a, an amazing game. I think we also talked about it last season on our matches of the decade podcast. Um, with uh, with the guests there, but as Paul, let's uh, bring Paul Green back in again. Nineteen ninety eight. I mean, as I keep saying, I was very much in this final because I lived in the area, had a lot of friends who were child. Although it has to be said, and I've said this many times, I went to school in Woolwich, and before that final and before that following season with Cheltenham, we were in the Premier League. You didn't really get a lot of Cheltenham fans. Yet the, the following season, I came back to school after the summer holidays. They were Cheltenham bags, and then like, oh, you've always been Cheltenham. Yeah, of course you have, Glory Hunters. Um, Michael Gallagher, I'm talking to you, if you're still listening or still about. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's talk 98 with you, Mr. Breen. Um, what I mean, as we've said before, it's, it's kind of looking back at it for you, but what does it mean to, to Cholton and it's still looked upon? Yeah, I mean, this is, again, um, a lot like Richard was saying, you know, about his, his writing and how this is, this is fresh in the mind. I mean, I've fictionalised this, so... Um, you know, I've watched the I've watched the game several times in order just to to capture that sort of sense of agony and, and ecstasy. Um, and actually, I'll just I'll just put in another um, kind of slight dig banter at at, at Palace as well because <laughs> uh, what was really sweet for Charlton fans that season was that Palace were kind of sliding down the table in the in the opposite direction as we were going up. Um, but basically, you know, nobody had expected this to be a four-all classic because um, you know. In the, in that season, um, Sunderland and Charlton had drawn both their previous games, um, and uh, Sasa Ilic had just gone uh, about ten games without conceding a goal. Uh, come through the semi-finals by beating Ipswich with uh, a Newton goal, Sean Newton goal, and then you know in the final, you know as as, as you say, Ash. I mean, Charlton's fan base just suddenly you know exploded out of nowhere and. and Thirty-five thousand tickets were sold, and um, this was the start of, of a rise from 
the valley's crowds going back up from about the, the ten thousands up to twenty thousands. And I think you know that our former chairman Richard Murray has said that was just probably the greatest advert ever for all those fans who decided to go to a game on a sunny day and you know they just fell in love with Charlton after that because um, from the minute you know Clive Mendonca got that goal in the twenty third minute. Um, it was just a brilliant atmosphere and, and, and so exciting. But then what I remember from listening on the on the radio in in Ireland, probably there was a lot of focus on, on the Irish radio about Niall Quinn because obviously he's one of Ireland's main players. And then, you know, for him to come along and, and, and score that equaliser kind of deflated Charlton's hopes. And then, you know, for the, the rest of the match, it, it was just a case of, you know, going one way and not the other because um, Kevin Phillips popped up and, and scored the second goal and then Clive Mendonca got the equaliser and then Niall Quinn again you know jumps in out of nowhere and, 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 and makes it 3-2 and then Richard Rufus um, he got his first goal for Charlton to put it into extra time you know Clive Mendonca's hat-trick took us into a penalty shootout um, now nobody knew what to expect. Alan Carbisley was actually sitting on the bench with his with his head in his hands. Um, he couldn't even look at the time. Clive Mendonca stepped up, um, got what was effectively his fourth goal of the match, even though it didn't count. Then I think Sotheby got the next one for Sunderland. Uh, then Steve Brown, who I mentioned earlier, he was our our second uh, penalty taker, and then it, it just you know, it just went on. I think what I compare it to in the in the, the book is it, it's heading in the direction of a Northern Hemisphere rugby score. I mean, you know, it's it's like years ago before you know, rugby got a bit more exciting. I mean, Ireland would so all with Scotland or something. I mean, the first first twelve penalty takers, sorry, the first thirteen penalty takers all scored, mm. um, and uh, you know, it was Sean Newton who got the seventh penalty for Chad. And then Michael Gray stepped up to the spot. And actually, in my book, I, I described this probably in, in, in a very dramatic fashion. And I imagine what all the Charlton fans were thinking of what they would like to do with Michael Gray, to Michael Gray at that moment in time to actually stop him from scoring the penalty. Um, and of course, he did step up. He took a pretty weak penalty. And uh, our goalkeeper, Sasha Illich, he just stopped the ball, scooped it up, and then the whole stadium erupted because. Charlton were back in the, in the Premier League and you know it meant so much to the club because they'd gone from as I say being homeless at the start of the decade to now actually going up to the to the Premier League and, and you know just just watching that you know over again to to write about it was fantastic and just reliving Clive Mendonca's goal several times that I could describe it perfectly I mean his, his first goal and um, I think both first and second goals were absolutely fantastic as well so it was just probably the, the perfect moment for uh, Charlton fans. And actually, when I wrote the Charlton Men, um, which was mainly concentrated around 2012 and the years uh, leading up to that, many of the fans at the time said they would have liked me to include a description of the playoff because that was just such a seminal game for Charlton fans. So that's one of the reasons why I gave it a whole chapter in the in the sequel, and um, I think even non-Charlton fans who've read the books have said, I mean, that's it's just um, such a brilliant game, and it's, it's you know fantastic to see it in in fiction because it is a fact, and 
Um, we hope that again at Charlton we'll see days like that. Um, you know, and days again when we might get thirty-five thousand fans just coming to see the football and not be distracted by the the other issues that are affecting the club at the present time. Mm. Benson, you said earlier is one of the games of the decade. I agree, but bad penalty, bad kit from Sunderland. But other than that, what a bonkers afternoon of football! Yeah, it was. In, in, I think you had everything you want from a game. Like I, I've got a real soft spot for penalty shootouts that go on all day. <laughs> um, and you know, the more you know, if you can get to the goalkeepers taking them, then it's a classic shootout as far as I'm concerned. But this one was just. Like, you just didn't have time to take a breath, did you? And it was great watching it somewhat of a neutral. I know I was Clyde Van Donker's corner, but just seeing them, it was, uh, it's, I'm, there's no way of describing it. It won't be sounding like a cliche, but it was like a Rocky movie. It was just like, it was just like Rocky and Apollo Creed battering 10 bells out of each other. And you knew one of them had to fall eventually, but bloody hell, it was entertaining watching it. Mm. I love Rocky, but that's a bit 80s there, Benson. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not doing with Rocky 5. Well, there was surely, I'm not talking yeah, about Rocky 5. Yeah, I'm not talking about Rocky 5. Um, Richard, taking your Palace hat off and looking back at 98, the Grinsby and the Cheltenham games, I mean, what what stories can you tell and have you found out from your from your findings in the book? And, and that, I mean, that game really does, as you say about the Palace games, sum up the agony and the ecstasy of the playoffs, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, the... Obviously, the Sunderland-Charlton game, I've got to admit, I think it is the playoffs final. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was voted as such by people who, I think they voted it as the best playoffs, uh, sorry, the best Wembley final in the last sort of 30 years yeah. or something. Um, I mean, there are so many other stories. I mean, Mendonca's hat-trick, as Paul pointed out, was a really good hat-trick. It wasn't just, you know, knocking in from five yards. He, he had to work on all those goals and took them brilliantly. The fact that he was Sunderland born and bred obviously adds a little bit of uh, twist to it. The fact that he also grew up in the same area as Michael Gray makes it even more interesting. Now, you also have to then bear in mind that Michael Gray, who I've interviewed exclusively for the revised edition of the book, said at the time uh, that he didn't want to take a penalty. There was no way he'd, he hadn't taken a penalty. So I think he told me he took one in his career, which was in a pre-season friendly. Um, so as Paul Breen quite rightly pointed out, we got up to 7-6. And I think... You don't get many penalty shootouts which have 13 conversions and no misses. So Gray's suddenly looking around at his teammates and thinking, well, who's going to take the next one? So there was the keeper, Lionel Perez, who wasn't going to take one. Great uh, hair. Wasn't the hair. era of sweeper-keeper then. Then there were two young guys who were sort of 18, 19, so he's thinking it's either me. And then he went, oh, brilliant. There's Danny Dicchio who'd come on as a substitute and he's a striker. He looked at Danny Dicchio. He'd taken his boots off during the penalty shootout. So Gray thought, oh, I've got to take this now. Uh, and as Paul said, when he said it was a pretty weak penalty, it was terrible. And just basically Sasser Illich just gobbled it up and that was it. And he talks now about that bloody penalty. He's reminded about it nearly every day and we're almost 20 years for later on. 
Yeah, he is very much. It was it was a terrible penalty though, and as I say, a terrible gold kit as well. And um, before we wrap up and do our uh, players at time forgot, I mean, there's we ha- there are games we haven't mentioned, so we'll just quickly go around. If there's anything else we want to mention, I know I should mention Darlington and Plymouth for our friend Robert Nickel Benson. But is there anything else from the playoffs in the nineties that we haven't covered that you wanted to quickly mention? Um. Well, you touched on the for me the uh, the Bolton Reading match mm. um, was really interesting because I remember that being sort of the equivalent at the time of you know Reading were had just come up from the third tier um, and they were to me a real underdog and I remember absolutely willing them on in that final um, and it had a real good versus evil feel because it was the year that it was the year that the Premier League reduced their number of teams. Yeah. So That's they're right. actually promoting two teams to, uh, to, to the Premier League. Middlesbrough went up as yeah. champions and then yeah. the playoff winners. And I, 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 am I right in saying that Reading finished third that season? Um, no, I think they finished second, actually. Finished second, right. OK, sorry. So they, you know, any other season, they would have gone up and they were so close. And to having taken the, the two-goal lead and then Bolton pegging them back, it was... It was and massive. they missed a penalty as well. When it was so they did. Who was that that missed the penalty? Steve Lovell. There you go. See, these guys know more than me on the, in this. Well, he's a player. He's the man for the playoffs. <laughs> um, and that was. I remember that being a real sort of sucker punch, feeling absolutely gutted for Reading. It was a real goodies versus baddies moment. Um, I, I really enjoyed that. I, I should have mentioned that earlier when you asked me about my best favourite playoff matches. Actually, that was a cracker. Yeah. No. Good. Um, yeah. Paul Breen. Anything else we want to mention that we haven't covered? Um, no, just again in in, in that uh, you know in the ninety eight final. I mean, interesting probably for Richard and for Palace fans. I mean, Kevin Phillips had actually been substituted, so that's that's wrong. Take a penalty, and then you know he went on and scored that uh, winner for another little London club <laughs> in uh, two thousand and, and thirteen. So I mean, th- history could have been you know that it's fine margins, and history could have been different if. Yeah, Phillips had had stayed on the pitch that day, but fortunately he didn't. So. I think that's very true because he'd scored over thirty goals that season. Yeah, uh, and I think it was the first time that a Sunderland player had scored over thirty goals in a league season since a chap called Brian Clough. Don't know what happened to him in nineteen sixty-two. So yeah, it, I think you were <clears throat> the fact that he went off and couldn't take a penalty was quite important. Mm. And then finally, Richard, I mean, we haven't really talked about Leicester because they were all over the playoffs in the 90s. In 92, they lost to Blackburn and then we mentioned the yep. Leicester-Swindon game and then they beat yep. uh, Derby before and obviously Palace. So, I mean, they had a lot of ups and downs. Um, so, a quick mention to them, but is there anything else we haven't covered from the 90s era of playoffs that you wanted to mention? Yeah, I think, as you say, Leicester deserve a mention. They were in the playoffs four out of five years, so they obviously enjoyed them. Um, and they lost to... Um, and they won two. So um, the one I would actually, it's a personal thing, and not many people will remember this, but um, it was 1993. <clears throat> it was the third tier, which was then called the second division. You know, they changed the nomenclature quite a lot. West Brom versus Port Vale. And I know a very good West, a very good friend of mine is uh, called Jenny Stubbs, who's a massive West Brom fan. All her family are West Brom fans. The sort of people whose lawns are just made up of old turf from the Hawthorns. And I, I just, she got me a ticket and I went. Uh, and it was the era, I think this was the first season they did their boing boing chant. All right, yeah. Wow. I mean, 
amazing and they absolutely walloped Port Vale who had a player sent off I think it was Swan they walloped them 3-0 and in fact going back to Grimsby I think Donovan who was then playing for West Brom scored for West Brom off the top of my head so he's got a bit of a record isn't he as a, mm. as a player Playoff for Maestro yeah. that's a good note to, to wrap that on sorry to anyone we haven't mentioned Blackpool another team who evolved in two penalty shoots shootouts in two consecutive yeah. seasons as well um, so and also Blackpool we have to point out the only team to have ever won all three divisional playoffs well there you go another good fact there from the man who wrote the book on the playoffs um we're now going to switch to our feature, which is fast becoming quite popular, I hope. Um, I want a jingle for it, so we'll get that sorted. But it's 90s players that time forgot. We've had some great names already. Check out the Twitter feed if you haven't seen them. Uh, Benson, I know you're a favourite of this sort of thing, so dig out a name from the past for us. Right, I need to ask you a, a rule first, Dan. <laughs> can I go, rule change. Can I go with the Grimsby player, or does it have to be someone not associated with my team? No, if you want to. I mean, that'd probably make it even more obscure, but go for it. <laughs> right, well, it's basically, there's a player who, who fits the theme of um, uh, of this podcast because he played in that final, but he also played in one of my favourite ever Premier League teams of the 90s, which was the 1994-95 Nottingham Forest team. Um, he wasn't exactly a, a mainstay in that team, but he played enough to make sure he made a name, and that guy's Kingsley Black. Yeah, he's got a great uh, yeah. goal against us. Absolutely. He's got, he's got a who, who hasn't team. done that, though? <laughs> All right, cheeky. I think he scored about six goals in that Premier League season, and then you know, and made a respectable number of games. I don't know how many off the top of my head. Played sporadically the next season, then signed for Grimsby, and he really was. He um, was such a class above anything we had at that point, and he was one of the driving forces um, in that ninety-seven, ninety-eight season. He went to. A, he, he was the guy that scored the equaliser at our first Wembley appearance against Bournemouth in that final. So, in effect, he's got our first Wembley goal ever. Um, but he's a guy that I feel was part of a team in that Nottingham Forest side that was full of absolute class players, um, some of which got the credit they deserve, like Collie Moore, obviously Stuart Pearce. Steve Stone. Um, yep, yeah, Steve Stone, absolutely. Some flew a little bit more under the radar, like Lars Behean and Ian Wone, Brian Roy. Um, and of course, Kingsley Black. So he's the guy I'm nominating. No, good choice. I like that one. Uh, Paul Breen, your 90s player that time forgot. Uh, I was rather than picking a Charlton player this time. I think I've picked somebody who uh, was a big, um, was well, virtually unknown when he signed for Liverpool. I don't know if you remember him. A guy called Nicky Tanner. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Just uh, somewhere up, just out of nowhere. I mean, he went from Bristol Rovers to. Liverpool, and uh, you know, I think all Liverpool fans were were quite surprised at at that time, um, and you know, as, as to who this guy was and and why he had been signed. And then, I mean, after that, um, I think he played you know forty or fifty games for Liverpool, and and he, he featured quite a lot under Graham Souness. But then I think he got injured, um, and uh, he retired in the in the middle nineties. So. Um, I think he's he's one of those people who who really springs to mind, um, and um, probably well, this may be more eighties going back to the um, the Torquay playoffs, um, and 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 you know, yeah, I'm probably thinking more eighties. A guy who is now the director of football up in uh, in Scotland for Albion Rovers, um, Dave Caldwell. I don't know if you ever. Came across him. Used to play for Mansfield. And and, Isabel, yeah, or, yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, and then if I was to pick a Charlton player as well, I'd probably go for somebody like uh, Carl Lieburn, who's oh. a bit of a cult hero with the club, because he, he, a bit unfairly, people remember him as the uh, striker who didn't really score a lot of goals. But, I mean, he he created a massive amount of goals. I mean, if you, you know, if you look back over some of Charlton's top games through the early 90s, you know, the on the Sky Gold, those types of, of programs and so on. I mean, he, he's always there um, creating a chance for somebody else. And um, he, I think he just left. He actually left Charlton in January 98, um, just before the, the uh, surge to the, to the playoffs. So he went to join Wimbledon. Um, but again, you know, he's, he's one of those players who are around in an era before footballers got very rich and, He's still remembered as a as a bit of a cult hero in Charlton, but uh, I'm not sure what he's doing with himself now. I know he was working as a security guard and um, working in the media. So he played one game for QPR. I remember in the 2000s, it was terrible. So I remember that. That's the only one I remember of Coley, but <laughs> but uh, Nicky Tanner's saying that they were trying to get him on the show. So he's on Twitter. So if you're listening, Nicky, come on the show. Finally, then Richard, um, you don't have to pick a Palace player, but any player, players that time forgot for you. Right, well, no, I'm not going to pick a Palace player. I'm going to pick someone who um, has got a bit of a, a decent record in the playoffs in his early 90s, uh, unsurprisingly. Uh, and that is a chap called Tommy Johnson. Ah, Ginger Tommy. Oh, nice. Ginger Tommy, the boy. So he started as an apprentice at uh, Notts County in 1987, which was, funnily enough, the year the playoffs started. And then he scored... For Notts County, as I mentioned earlier, they won two successive finals. So he scored in the 1990 final when they beat Tranmere 2-0. And then he scored two goals against when they beat Brighton 3-1 to go up to what was then Division 1. Um, so he then achieved the... I think no, I can't think of any other players done this. He then scored another goal in a playoffs final in 1994 for Derby when they lost to Leicester. So he's basically scored four goals in three different finals for two different clubs. Not many people have done that. He then, in mid-90s, moved to Villa, if you remember, uh, under Brian Little. And that Villa team, I know Villa aren't so good anymore, but they finished fourth in the Premier League. He was part of the the League Cup winning side as well, wasn't he? Exactly, yeah, yeah. I think he he might have come on as a sub. But, I mean... For Notts County, he scored 47 goals in 118 games, which is a pretty good ratio, particularly as he's very young. For Derby, he scored 30 out of 98. And for Villa, higher level, 13 out of 47. And then he went to Celtic and he won, obviously, Premier League. (laughs) Yeah, like you do. Puffs, you know, basically the usual treble that you get when you get to Celtic. But um, he played under some very interesting managers up there, including John Barnes and Kenny Dalglish and Martin O'Neill. But um, he scored 18 out of 35 for them. So, impressive striker. Never really talked about, is he? And no. he he had an impact at every club he was at, which I think is a really important key part of choosing someone who goes under the radar but is valued by their supporters. And good to get the ginger thing full circle following David Hopkin. So that was all good. Um, yeah. Nice three picks. Um, and, that, and that's good. I think we covered everything from the playoffs. Exhaustingly, there's been, been so many to cover. But I think we pretty much did. Um, guys, if people want to talk to you about 90s football or the playoffs, where can they find you on the social media? Firstly, the man who wrote the book. Uh, where are you on Twitter, Richard? I'm all over it. Uh, it's <laughs> at 
R.C. Foster, so all lowercase, or I've got a specific playoffs Twitter, which is capital F, capital L, P, all capitals are then offs. So FL playoffs with the FLP as the capitals and then playoffs. Uh, And then obviously, uh, if you go into a bookshop, you might see uh, the old book of mine just resting waiting to be bought <laughs> and, and mr brain where can people get into contact with you if they want to find out about the book or charlton or even want to talk 90s football with you yeah i mean my my twitter account is just basically named after the book so it's at charlton man good uh, stuff and uh you know if anyone wants to contact me about the book or order a book directly off me uh, they can contact me at the charlton man at gmail.com or they can find the books on Amazon. So both the Charlton Men and the sequel are available on uh, on Amazon. And I have a, a page on Amazon as well. Brilliant. And to complete the cheap plugs, um, Mr. Benson, where can we find you and the brilliant things that Hooked On have been doing, including, if you're into your wrestling, Bruce Pritchard is coming over in July, which you're putting on. Brilliant podcast if you're into that stuff. Where can they find events and yourself? Cheers, Ash. Yep, we're doing, a, we're doing a tour with the biggest wrestling podcast in the world in the UK in July. We've got four dates in Dublin, Birmingham, London and Manchester. And if you want more information on that, if you do follow mine and Ash's passions for both 90s football and wrestling, you can catch us at HO underscore wrestling on Twitter or facebook.com forward slash HO wrestling. Um, if wrestling's not your bag and you just want to talk 90s football, you can catch me on Twitter at Benson Lives. Brilliant. Thank you very much, guys. Um, thank you for listening, as always. Uh, we will get back to our countdown of season by season of the 90s. Uh, maybe next time, maybe the show after. There may be an FA Cup final special coming your way as well. But keep your eye on the Twitter feed to, for confirmation of that. Until then, I've been Ash Rose. This is Alive and Kicking. Until next time, keep it 90s. <laughs> <laughs>